Welcome. Hi, how you doing? Good. If you're brand new, I am not Carl, nor am I Ralph. I am uh, one of the pastors here, Pastor Tom. And welcome to Hope Chapel. Carl is still on vacation. And I think that's a good thing. It's not like, we're, I'm glad he's gone, right? No, I'm not glad he's gone. Actually, I served with him on Monday, which is awesome. I got to serve with him. Uh, but he's taking a break with him and his wife and the kids. Don't you think we need a break? Pastors need a break? Because I really believe this. When they come back, he's going to be that much better, right? Because God, God says that we need rest. And so uh, here I am. You got me this morning. All right, cool. And I'm, I'm actually glad to be here. And we're actually talking about something that that's why we, and I just want to applaud the worship team for being creative enough to do, to sing this song. Thank you, worship team. To be creative enough to sing this song, you know, we're talking about godly jealousy today, about jealousy. And there's only one song out there that I think that has the word jealous, and that was it, and so we sang it. Um, but it's an amazing thing that, um, that there, there is a thing called godly jealousy, and it's from who? It's from God himself. God himself said he's a jealous God. And I, I just want to um, kind of put it out there. Don't you love the fact, not, not just God, don't you love the fact that if someone was jealous over you, it's like, ooh, come on, let's be honest here. You enjoy it. You're like, you love me. You care. It's like, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, thank you. It's a, it's a compliment, isn't it? It's a compliment that, that you're that good. But you're not that, yeah, you are. You are that good. Give yourselves a pat on the back. All right. But don't you guys agree? And I, I think even more so, if you really, really think about it, that's why this song blows me away. If you think about it, if you put it into perspective, the creator, the heavenly father, the, the, he's so huge that we can't even comprehend it. Uh, he, he created us. Uh, we are his masterpiece. He himself, that could totally forget about us and go about his business, he doesn't have to do anything, but he, he still chooses to love us anyway. And I think that's an incredible thing that we have to realize. And uh, we're going to be going into uh, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and it's actually something that we can actually acquire, this godly jealousy. Because if we actually, when we read it, Paul had this godly jealousy for, for God's people. And so it kind of does apply, for it, apply to us. And so um, how many guys remember what we talked about the last two times with Pastor Carl and Pastor Rob? By the way, Pastor Rob did a great job last week. He did a great job. But the last two weeks we talked about God's authority. Paul was basically telling the Corinthian church, I have authority. Listen to me. Believe me. You can tell almost like by his voice. He's just like, come on. What are you guys thinking? He's like trying to convince the Corinthian church, listen to me. And if you guys remember, um, uh, I love Carl's description, right? He kind of did his research and he was kind of thinking, what did Paul look like? And what did, if you actually put it together, what did, he, what did Pastor Carl say? That, that Paul might have looked like George Costanza from Seinfeld. He had a big nose. He, had, he was balding, he's short and stubby, you know, and it's just like, you know, and basically it's kind of like, I'm wondering if they just thought he was a joke. He's just like, listen to me, I'm Paul, come on, you know. You know, I just remember that Seinfeld episode, can't stand you. Okay, no one can relate to that. I watch Seinfeld all the time, I've watched all the episodes, but like George Costanza, and that, that's kind of true, because he's, he's basically saying, look at me, I, but you know what, he had a calling on his life, he had Jesus personally come and Dude, why are you persecuting me? Do, do this. And he said, he did it. He knew exactly what he needed to do. And he was so passionate for the Corinthian church. Like, I have to do this thing to, sh to prove my authority. And actually, when we reach chapter 11, we see why he was so passionate about proving his authority. It's because the Corinthian church was kind of slipping away. They were following um, a different gospel than the gospel that Paul preached. 
They were following these fancy false teachers. We're going to start reading in that. And so here Paul's going, dude, don't listen to those guys. Listen to me. Listen to me as I listen to Christ, right? And he says this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, I hope you will put up with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. And so here we see Paul. He's going, can you just put up with me for a little bit more? Because, right, like I said in the past chapters, he's going, come on, here's my authority. Listen to me. Can you put up with me a little bit more of my foolishness? And he calls it foolishness is because the fact that he has to resort to show, showing his spiritual resume to the Corinthian church. He's like, this is foolishness. Why do I have to brag about myself? I would rather brag about Christ, right? And so he calls it foolishly. Actually, in the next chapter, in the message version in 2 Corinthians 12, he says this, you force me to talk this way. You force me. I do it against my better judgment. So he was like saying, I don't want to do this because this is bragging, but I, you force me to do it. And basically... Paul knew this, right? His, the main line in this verse says, for I am jealous for you, the Corinthian church. I am jealous for you because you are following other people. You are worshiping other things other than God. I am jealous for you because of the jealousy of God. And how many guys know that God is a jealous God? How many guys know that? Amen. Well, now you know. So raise all your hands. You are, and I'll prove it to you. In the Old Testament, actually in the Ten Commandments, it actually says that. If you go to Ephesians, you don't have to turn there, but not Ephesians. Exodus 20, verse 4, it says this. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, and here it is, am a what? A jealous God. He says it right there. I am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affections for any other gods. Now, let's, let's make sure that we get this straight, right? You're basically, Tom, you're telling me that jealousy is okay? It's like, ooh, I can be jealous then. Awesome. <laughs> but if, if you actually read some other parts of the, the Bible, it actually talks about sin. It says there was quarreling, there was division, and actually they throw the word jealousy in there. So are we contradicting the Bible? Does the, the Bible contradict itself? No, not at all. The difference between sinful and worldly jealousy and godly jealousy is very simple. The first thing is ownership. Ownership. Now, let me explain, right? Worldly jealousy has no ownership. Why? It's because you envy something you don't have. Is that clear? Right? How many of you guys answered the question? You guys conversed? Um, someone on Friday night made the most amazing answer to the, the, the question of, so what's something you don't have that you wish you had? She said, I wish I had gills. I was like, ooh, my answer, my answer sucks compared to yours. She wished she had gills so she could swim and like, oh man, imagine if, if I'm a surfer, imagine me surfing. I could surf there all day. It's like, here. I can, I can surf the biggest waves ever and not get worked, whatever it is. I can just go underneath the water. And it was just amazing. I'm like going, oh, I'm done. I want, I want gills too. Can I have gills? I want gills, right? It's something that we don't own. Are you with me? That's, that's the earthly jealousy. It's like, oh, I wish I had that. I wish I had that car. I wish I had that girl. I wish I had that marriage. I wish I, I had an iPad, which I actually bought one for my wife. Yeah. 
You get, yeah. you get that? I bought me an iPad. I bought it for my wife, and now I have an iPad. That's how Christmas works, guys. Come on. That, <laughs> I got an amen for that. Right? But here's, um, here's the thing. Godly jealousy is based on the fact that he owns our worship. Amen. He owns it. The worship that you might give to something else literally and rightfully belongs to him. Are you hearing me? And we give worship, right? And here they say worship to other gods or whatever it is. Maybe you're looking at other uh, false teachers or whatever it is. But the word worship actually means to give something worth to. And so I think this really applies to us. can be challenging is, is that God can be jealous is if we're giving anything more worth than we're giving to God. For Frank, it's that sports bike. You better repent of that. Okay, good. Awesome. Cool. Okay, we don't have to take you out of this place. Okay. Right? But isn't that a challenging question? What is something you, you are giving more worship to than God? Because God's worship belongs to him. Amen. He has ownership over it. Are you guys hearing me? Right? That's very important. To, and I, I think there's a, uh, you know what? I think worldly jealousy, earthly jealousy is based, uh, it stems on, on one powerful feeling, insecurity. Right? We're insecure of something. Oh, man, he's better than me, and he is all, he's really funny, and all that, right? It's based on insecurity, so that's where the jealousy pops up, right? I have an example. Um, I had this stupid notion when I was in high school. Um, I, 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 I had a girlfriend, and my notion was the fact that, that I would be the funniest guy she would ever meet. That was my, isn't that ridiculous? I'll be like, you're right, Frank, right? Same thing. It's like, I'm, 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 I'm good times. I'm hilarious. There should be none funnier. Right? Literally, I had it in my brain, and I would get jealous if she was having a good time or laughed at someone else's joke. I'd be like, dude, no, hang out with them. Dude, good times are here, man. What's going on? How many guys, how many guys remember Tisha Falcon? How many guys remember Tisha Falcon? Tisha Gray Falcon. You're a funny, awesome lady. I didn't want my girlfriend hanging out with her. She was too funny. Her brother, Brad, was even funnier than her. I'm like, oh, you ain't hanging out with the Falcons. You, you're coming out with me and laughing at all my jokes, right? I was, it's so dumb. It was based on insecurity. And let me tell you one thing. God is not insecure. Amen. His jealousy is not based on insecurity. It's not. Because God knows he's good. I mean, I was thinking about it the other day when I was worshiping. We say all these great things to God, right, when we worship. God, you're able. God, you're faithful. Lord, you love us, right? And it's kind of interesting that we're already telling the Lord what he already knows. It's not like he's sitting on a couch in heaven, all depressed because he woke up and it's a bad day. Oh, man. And then we sing, God is able, and he's like, I am able. You're right, guys. Thank you so much. I can be God now. You know, I am sorry. He is not doing that. God is not insecure. God knows how good he is. God knows how faithful he is. He's been faithful throughout the beginning and through the end. He created you. He, he created this masterpiece that you are. He is worth his worship. He owns you. He, your worship belongs to him. You guys get that? He is not insecure. He is not coming from insecurity. He is coming from the fact that he is God, and that's all you need to know. I am who I am, right? That's the definition, right? That's who he said he was. The other thing about um, worldly jealousy and godly jealousy, the difference, right? We said ownership. The other thing is this thing called covenant. 
How many of you guys know what a covenant is? It's an agreement. It's a, it's a, um, it, it's a, it's a contract. Right now, everyone actually should, if you come to church, everyone should have a contract in your hand right now. How many of you guys have your Bible? Hold it up. Here's my Bible I am. I'm holding up my phone. How many of you guys have your Bible? Hold it up. In your hands, you have a contract. You guys know that? A contract. It's the old contract and the new contract. Let me put it in terms. It's the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what testament means. It's an agreement. It's a contract. It's a covenant between God and his people, and that's what you hold in your hands, right? So he, we know that he has a covenant. Worldly jealousy doesn't have a covenant. It, uh, there's, there is no contract. It's based, you know what it's based on? You know what's held on? Selfishness. It's the fact that I want and I need and I want this, right? Um, godly jealousy has this covenant, right? In the old days, in the old contract, um, Abraham uh, made a covenant with God, right? There were times when he made this covenant, right, when he almost sacrificed Isaac or when the time when the, the animal uh, that he was cooking split and then the, the spirit passed through it, like amazing, the covenant of God, right? That was the old covenant, right? That, that Abraham, I will bless you uh, and you'll be numer- more numerous than the stars, and then the new covenant. You know what the new covenant is? You know what the new contract is? Jesus. That's what we believe. We believe in this new covenant, this new thing that, um, that God has. And, and the way I can, um, a, a simpler way of explaining this thing about covenant, uh, explaining earthly jealousy and worldly je- uh, the godly jealousy is the fact that, uh, look at a husband and wife. Right? How many of you guys are married here? <laughs> All right, you're glad to be married. Awesome. You should be. We should be more. Let me try that again. Let's hear more woos because you got to. Who's married here? Woo. Me too. What? My wife is watching online. Woo. Love you, babe. Okay. But on the day you got married, what did you do? You made a contract. You made an agreement before God and man. You said, I do. Right before, uh, uh, I was going to say priest. <laughs> A pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm not a priest. Um, but you made it before uh, all your friends and family. You signed the paper, right, on the state line. Boom, I am married to this person. I commit, right? And so if you go out with your spouse and someone else decides, I'm going to flirt with your spouse, do you not have the right to be jealous? Is it appropriate to be jealous? Yes, it is. It's not a sin. Because why? You have a contract. Are you guys hearing me? Right? You have an agreement before God and man that, that you know what? I'm sorry. She is mine. I am hers. Get away. Bye-bye. Right? Bye-bye. Same thing with God. And you know what the contract for us? And I love this in Luke 22, verse 20. Here's the, here's the covenant that Jesus made with us. He says, after supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. I hope you guys love the fact that this is an amazing thing that Jesus did for us, right? When we say he loves us so much, he's jealous. Well, he proved, right? God said he is a jealous God in the Old Testament, but he proved his jealousy so much that he sent his only son to die for us, to give up his life, to be put on the cross, willingly put on the cross, to shed his blood for us. And that is the new covenant that we live in. And I think that's one thing we can hold on to. Um, then Paul goes on. He says, well, I'm jealous. And is that okay for us to be jealous then? 
right? Because Paul says, I am jealous with the jealousy of God. Because here's the thing, here's the reason why he was jealous. He says that in verse two, he says, you know why I'm jealous? With the jealousy of God, I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. Now, I think this is a concept that I think for women is easy to, easy to uh, you know, to grasp. I am the bride of Christ. For guys, I'm the bride of Christ. All the women are laughing at you right now. And you're thinking, thanks a lot, Tom. Well, let me say it a little more manlier. You are the bride of Christ. Stand in that. But we are. And you know what? We shouldn't shy away from that either, guys. Seriously. I, I'm not joking here. We are the bride of Christ because he is the head of the church. He, he bought it with his own blood. He deserves to be the husband. Amen. Let me say that again. And I'm not joking here. Stop laughing. <laughs> I'm not joking. Right? Guys, come on. Are you with me? Okay? I mean, look, at, it says here in Hosea. Hosea, uh, in the Old Testament, Hosea chapter 2, verse 16, it says, When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband instead of my master. 19 says, I will make you my wife forever. And this is why, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will, be finally, know that me, you will finally know me as the Lord. Amen. Come on. That's something that a guy can grasp. Come on. That you are the bride of Christ. And that he owns you. That you have a jealous God. I think that's an amazing thing. And go on in verse 4, back to chapter 11 of Corinthians. It says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. But I don't consider myself inferior in any way to those super apostles, with quotations, who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I am not lacking in knowledge. We have made this clear to you in every possible way. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? I robbed other churches by accepting their contributions so I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you. I never will be. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, no one in, uh, in all of Greece will ever stop me boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. But I will continue doing what I have always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. These people are false prophets, uh, pro false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get their, uh, the punishment the wicked, their wicked deeds deserve. Now, I want to make sure I read that. And you're getting a whole glimpse of what's going on. Paul is begging them. I know I look like George Costanza, but please believe me. Believe in my authority. Seriously. It's like, I'm short. You know, I, you know whatever it is, I have authority. I have a calling on God. Please listen to me. I beg of you, right? He's saying this. Why? It's because they, they were following these eloquent, smooth-talking, trained speakers, Right? I mean, in today's day, probably they had PowerPoint, lights, and explosions, like, right? They were so good at it, 
But the, the one problem was, was that they were taking the gospel, right? They were taking the, the truth and twisting it and, and distorting it. And actually, the word is they were perverting it. How many guys, right, you guys get that? Perverting the truth. And if you pervert the truth, right, what, what actually is that? It's not the truth anymore. What's the opposite of truth? So they're basically giving them lies. They looked great. They were smooth talking. They might have even looked good or handsome or whatever it is. And they were just being, uh, the Corinthian church was going, oh, man, look at Paul. But look at these guys. This is the best show in town. Woo! And they're getting swayed. And they're listening to lies. And I wanted to say one thing. Lies said with eloquence and smooth talk is still lies. It's still lies. And, and what's that challenge to us is that we got to make sure that we watch what we listen to, what church we go to, what books we read, that we, we got to know if we're, we're, we're looking to grow in Christ and we're looking at pastors and people who are famous and authors and whatever it is, that they have the right spirit. It says here, it says um, they were preaching a different kind of gospel. They had a different spirit. Well, you know what? You guys should know the difference, shouldn't you? I hope you know the difference. I hope when you walk in here, and I, I believe we're in a good, solid church. Why? Because of one thing. When you walk in here, what do you see? Jesus. That's good enough already right there. Right? You should know the difference. Right? So the, the caution is, the warning is, be careful of, if you, you, might, you might be visiting here. You might be a first time, and this church might not be for you, and that's okay because of the style or whatever it is, right? But I pray to God that you would go to a church that believes in Jesus, that is, has the right spirit, that has the right gospel, not a different gospel than we preach, that you should be aware of that. And I think there's three things, there's three things that we should look out for. And I've, I've already mentioned one, but here's the one thing that if we're looking out, right, we're looking at a place where, where we want to worship or go to church. Hopefully, you found this as your home or wherever we go if we move or what books we're reading. That Number one, does the teaching or writing line up with the Bible? Bottom line, right? Does it have the Bible in it? Does it have scriptures? Is it based, is, are the ideas based on what God said in his word from Genesis to Revelation? You know, there's a lot of books that are great, but there's no scriptures, and you're going, what? what's this based upon? I, I, I question any book, a Christian book, that has no scriptures, scripture base. I like to see scriptures in there, right? And um, if you notice, I read a whole bunch of scripture today, so we're good, good on one. Boom. That's why, that's why we read a lot of scriptures here, because we want to preach things that come from the Bible. You know, there's a lot of preachers out there. I'm not judging them, but, man, it's like they, they would preach and go, it's just self-help. It's just self-help. You read a self-help book that's not based on the Word of God. Make sure it's based on the Bible. Number two, oh, actually, I, I kind of want can I can I confess to you guys one thing? I'm going to do it anyway if you don't want, not want me to. Here's a great example, right? You got to make sure that we're right. That me, like, I'm not perfect. You know, maybe Carl is, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> Carl is perfect, by the way, no. Um, I'm not, and I, 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 can I confess something to you? It was a couple of months ago, I actually... Um, I preached something that was not in the Bible. You know that example that Moses saw God? Like he said, God, reveal yourself to me. And God's, okay, I'll just show you a little bit of me, right? And I said that at that moment, Moses' hair turned white. Actually, that didn't happen. That is not in the Bible whatsoever. Uh, what happened was, if you guys remember Carl's teaching, he, had the, he came back glowing, right? 
I don't know if it was the Charleston Heston vision of Ten Commandments. You know, it's like, oh, I'm gone. <laughs> I am so sorry, guys. So sorry. If you guys forgive me, I can move on. And can I still preach the word of God? Is that okay? Thank you, Lord. I got to do that. Okay. Check, check us. Read your own Bible. Read the Bible that you have. Check it, right? Number two is, do, do, does the teacher or writer proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Very important. You can walk into a church that says, God, God, God. What God are they talking about? It could be any God. It could be a made-up God. It could be the, the God they made up, right? When you talk about Jesus, it's a different story, isn't it? Right? A lot of uh, celebrities and a lot of athletes, right, they go, I just want to thank God, right? They get an Emmy or an award or something like, I just want to thank God and Basically, I go, that's great and all, but what God are you talking about? I would love to see a celebrity get up and get their enemy, enemy, get their Emmy or whatever, Oscar, whatever it is. I would love to see them stand up. If they're a Christian, they go like this. I just want to thank Jesus Christ, the person who died for me, my Lord and Savior, King of all kings, Lord of all lords, who sits at the right hand of our Father. Then I would go, oh, you're a Christian. Isn't there a difference? that you go into a church that but preaches Jesus. And I thank the Lord that you, it's very clear. So we got one out of two. That's, I mean, two out of two. Not one out of two. Two out of two here. Okay. The third thing you should look for is the teacher or author or anybody that's, that you're reading, that they have a life of integrity and, and, and that, something that holds up to the, biblical, the morality of the Bible. Right? Like I said, I am not perfect, but I'm trying my best to be an example so that you can follow me. Right? You got to look into these guys' lives. Do they, are they doing it for fame? Are they doing it for money? And I look at the people that I follow, the, the pastors that I look up to, seriously, a lot of them. They're very humble people, integrous people. I, I look at their lives and they're consistently, right? You know, there's some guys that come on, they write a book and it's a great book. And it's like, okay, cool. And I read it. And, because let me, let me say one thing. A book that is a Christian book is not the Bible. You can't take it like the Bible. It's like, oh, and then believe. Come on. Check. You got brains, right? You got brains. But look at their lives. Look at, look at their, the fruit of their, just their personal life. Yeah, it, has to be, it has to be there. Okay, I'm running out of time. So let's keep going. Okay, I'm going to read the word right now. And is it okay if I just read it? And it's, it's a long passage. Can you bear with me? Here I am. Okay, here we go. Verse 16, I'm going to read it all the way to the end. And I think it's really good here. It says this. Again, I say, don't think that I am a fool to talk like this, but even if you do, listen to me, as you would be uh, to a foolish person while I also boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool, and since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. After all, you think you're so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. I think this is like the Corinthian ch church was listening to lies, and basically Paul's saying it's like slapping you in the face. It's like, oh, slap you in the face. May I have another? Thank you. Slap you in the face, right? That's what they're doing. They're basically listening to lies and getting slapped into the face. That's what Paul's saying, right? And it says, but whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again. I dare to boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. 
I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea, I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced dangers from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Does anybody get Paul's point? He's just like, you have forced me to do this. Bam. Listen to me. I have something to say here. Those guys are, are spouting lies. I have given up my life for you. I, look at what I have done just to bring you the gospel. Look what I have done. Look what I've gone through just to get to this point where I can tell you about Jesus Christ. I think that's amazing. Then he finishes off. He says, then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without me feeling that weakness? Who is led astray? I do not burn with anger. Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger. If I must boast, I would rather boast about these things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of the Lord Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, King uh, kept guards at the city gates to catch me. I had to be lowered in the basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. Now, we read this whole chapter. Whew, we're done with chapter 11. And I kind of struggled a little bit with this sermon because I was like thinking, okay, he's talking about us not following false prophets, false teachers, and making sure that we guard ourselves. And is, I, I asked myself, is that the focus? And I don't think the focus is that, even though we went through it. Yeah, you know what? You guys should know the difference, Amen. You should know the spirit of Jesus, and when spirit, the spirit of Jesus is not there, you should know that. You should, right? And I looked at this and go, you know what? There are things that we can actually learn from Paul, from his jealousy, from Paul's jealousy, the passion, right? Actually, the root word of, of jealous is zealous, that he had passion, that there was something that was driving him to write uh, 2 Corinthians. There was something driving him that loved these people, that wanted uh, to do God's work. And you know what? Don't, how many guys want a glimpse of that? How many guys want to know, like, what, what did he do? What, what, why was he like that? I know I do. I want to learn from Paul. And in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 11, it actually says, you know, imitate me as I what? Imitate me, Paul, as I imitate Christ. And so you guys want to learn from Paul? Yeah. All right, here we go. I have six things I think we can learn from Paul. And I'm going to go really quick here. I got time. Got time. All right, here we go. I will, pre- I will preach it. All right. There's six things, and I'll, if you're taking notes, there's six things that we can actually, from these scripture, from just verse 11, that we can learn from Paul and go, whoa, that's good. And when I read this, I don't want you to, I don't want you to feel like, oh man, I got to do that. And I got to, I don't want this to be a burden to you. What I want this to be is something to go, all right. Okay, number one. Uh, yeah, you know what? I do that pretty good. I'm pretty good at that. I can get a little bit better, but you know what? That's kind of confirmation that you're on the right track, okay? Maybe the second thing would be like, ooh, yeah, I got to work on that. And so I, I'm hoping you're like getting some like, ooh, yeah, Paul's got six things. I, I'm doing pretty good at that. Ooh, I'm doing horrible at that. I got to get better at that. So that you would get little nuggets of like, okay, I, I want to grow in the Lord. I want to imitate Paul because he imitated Christ so strongly that I want him to be my example. And so the first thing I think he had was passion for God and for God's people. He had a passion for God and for God's people. 
Now, the passion for God, I don't think we have to explain because it's pretty obvious. He loved Jesus Christ. Awesome. But he had a passion for God's people. My question to you, do you have a passion for God's people? Maybe some of us do, but you know what? Do people in your life fall away from Christ and you have like, ah, that's okay. Well, they fell away from Christ. Okay. Is there an inkling in your, in your gut going, I got to chase after them or I got to do something, right? God convicted me this week. Like, you know what? There's people I have on Facebook that I haven't seen in a long time. They, they live in, you know, the mainland or whatever. And so there's a distance, right? And so I like to Facebook the people that are around me. And like all the people in, on Facebook, my friends, their lives are falling apart. And God convicted me. He's like, why aren't you reaching out to them? Because they don't live near you? You're still friends with them, aren't you? I'm like, ah. So last night, I, this one guy, he just posted something. And, and you know, he just posted something that the, something horrible happened to him. And I was just like, hey, dude, hang in there, bro. I, had a, I have a passion for him. And I want to, do you guys have a passion for your people? I think um, someone that I know has passion for God's people is Frank Kabakungan, your youth pastor. He loves his people. He loves God's people. Um, I want to brag about my wife. Getting brownie points right now. My wife. Uh, my wife has a passion for people. Um, you know, she helped me with the youth group back in the day, and the girls loved her. The girls loved her more than she loved, they loved me. And um, they really did. And she has kids. We have, we have kids. Uh, we have twins. Now, and you think uh, a, a, a mother with twins would be like, you know what, no ministry. I don't want to minister to anybody. You know what, she still has people come over, and she ministers to them, gives them advice. Some of her old high schoolers come by, and I think it's really smart because, like, oh, let me give you advice, let me pray for you, and you can help me with the kids. All right, here, hold them. You know, I think it's really, really smart. Like, can you start feeding them? Now I can pray for you. All right. You know, but she has a passion for people even though she has a busy life. I think that's amazing. Do you have a passion for God's people? That's number one. There's a kid. Awesome. Um, Number two is? is that Paul knew his strengths and he knew his weaknesses. Paul knew his strengths and he knew his weaknesses, which means he was honest with himself, right? Uh, in the verse it says, I may be an unskilled speaker, right? He says, he, uh, he admits, I don't speak as well as those guys, those eloquent guys. But you know what? I'm not lacking in knowledge. I have the knowledge of Christ. I know the Bible left and right. I have the knowledge. I know my strengths and I know my weakness. I know exactly where I fit. And I think this is very important for us because it, actually in Romans, Paul writes this. He gives the church a warning. He says, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given you. Be honest in your evaluation of who you are. Why? Because God wants to place you in a perfect place, right? He wants to per- place you in the perfect place in the body of Christ. That's neither here nor there, and it's the perfect fit. Are you guys with me? And a lot of times, a lot of people, I've, and I've been doing ministry a long time, a lot of people either overestimate themselves or underestimate themselves. And what Paul is saying, estimate yourself. <laughs> because if you overestimate yourself, you're just bragging about uh, things you don't have. I remember one time I was uh, getting ready for, uh, to lead a worship band for uh, youth camp, and this guy came up to me and said, dude, I can play guitar, man. I'm really good. I'm really good at guitar. We went to practice. He ain't that good. <laughs> I had to tell him, you're not that good. And you just wasted my time. Thank you very much. He overestimated himself. He had pride. He, he just wanted the position. Like, I want to be on stage, right? He overestimated. On the other hand, the underestimation part is like, oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. 
And God has given you gifts to be right here, and you're holding yourself back going, uh, I can't do it. And you're not believing in the fact that God can actually place you exactly uh, where you're at. Can you, are you hearing me? And on both sides, I really believe this. There's pride. There's arrogance, either in false humility or just plain old arrogance, right? God wants you to be right here that you go, here's my giftings. Here's what I can offer for the body of Christ. I am the elbow. Boom. And I fit right there. Nobody wants an elbow right here. I am so sorry. Right? Honest evaluation about yourselves. Know your strengths and your weakness. Number three, and I love this one. Paul was not afraid to look foolish to, to glorify Christ. He was not afraid to look like a fool. Right? He's basically said it in this chapter. He says, uh, I, I, I know I look like a madman. I, I have to do something foolish and brag about myself, but I don't want to do it. It's against my better judgment, but here I go. And I love that. I think we should have an attitude that we put our egos and our pride for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel getting out there. That we, we're not here to look good or to be, to be like, once this is happening, then everyone's going to respect me and like whatever it is, right? We should do it in the fact that, you know what, I, I'm, a, I'm not afraid to look foolish, right? I just remember King David. King David, I love that, right? He danced practically naked because he was, he was celebrating the Lord, right? And I think this is a good quality. One of the best qualities, I, I, I know I mention this guy every time I get up here, but I love this guy because he's one of the reasons why I'm a pastor today. But Pastor Jeff McKay, my youth pastor, was absolutely the king of looking foolish. <laughs> absolutely the king. And I loved it. For, I loved him for it. I mean, that guy would just do stupid things. He would make me laugh. He would make the whole youth group laugh. He made up characters about himself. He, he called himself Pepe. He would get up on stage and like, I am Pepe. You know, I'm like, you're so dumb, but I love you anyway, right? He'd make a fool out of himself. And one day, he actually tried to pull me into it. He's all, I will be Pepe, and you will be little Pepe. <laughs> I'm like, no, Jeff, don't pull me into your foolishness. No, I, I need friends. I'm, I'm a ninth grader. Like, I don't want to, I'm little Pepe. I, I literally had to go up there as little Pepe. <laughs> I made a fool of myself. And he taught me something. And the most amazing thing about uh, of Jeff is that he wasn't afraid to the point of, uh, even in ministry, um, he actually left this church uh, to start Hope Chapel in Mililani because God called him. There was one girl that had, uh, had befriended and led to the Lord all these people in, in, um, in, in Mililani to the Lord. And Jeff had this inkling from the Lord, I really believe, saying, go start a church in Mililani. And he went to Ralph, Pastor Ralph, said, Ralph, God's calling me to start this church in Mililani. And well, how much people? There's this one girl and her friends. And, and Pastor Ralph, like, in his wisdom, is like, dude, you're crazy. That's stupid. Don't do that. Don't do that. You're, you have a flourishing ministry here. All these kids love you. Do not do this. And what Pastor Ralph was making sure that what, what he heard was from the Lord. And, and seriously, the passion that was in Jeff said, nope, I have to do this. I have to do this. The Lord is, is telling me to do this. He wasn't afraid to look foolish if he failed. He went out there and risked it. Isn't it amazing? And that church is there to this day. Hope Chapel Milani is there to this day. He's not the pastor. He left it and actually went to Japan. That guy's amazing, isn't he? That guy's a legend. That church is still here in existence, right? Hope Chapel Milani because of that. Because my, my youth pastor wasn't afraid to look foolish. Uh, number four, I think this is a very important one. Number four is, is that Paul was confident and humble at the same time. Are you hearing me? He was confident and humble. And I think that's a combination that goes very well together because he knew who he was, right? He says, am I a Hebrew? Yes. Am I an Israelite? Yes. Uh, am I a servant of Christ? You absolutely know I am. 
I am a servant. I am confident who I am in Christ. But he did it with humility, right? The last verse he says, I don't want to boast about myself. I want to boast about the Lord. And I think this is very important. How many guys have this book? Come on, Sun, Stand Still by Stephen Furtick. Great book. Um, and the whole premise of this book is to pray audacious prayers, right? Like Joshua prayed, Sun, Stand Still so I can do your work, right? And so um, on, on, on page 67, he actually writes this, and it's about confidence and humility. Uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick writes this. He says, obviously praying audacious prayers and walking in bold faith takes confidence. But healthy confidence is born out of genuine humility. The two must work in tandem. Confidence without humility is arrogance. Humility without confidence is weakness. Confidence and humility are both biblical, and they are equally essential for the life of true faith. Is that a good word or what? That we should be confident in who we are and do it with humility. You know why? Because we know who we are in Christ, but it's not about us anyway. And one of the best examples I ever saw, seriously, one of the best examples was our very own founding pastor, Pastor Ralph. I love this. This is one of the best, awesome sermons I ever saw him preach. was uh, at the Foursquare Convention in San Francisco, and there was like, there was like, you know, 5,000 pastors there. Not just, you know, lay people. It was pastors. There was like board members. They just elected uh, Jack Hayford as the president. And Pastor Ralph was, um, was uh, asked had the privilege of being the keynote speaker at one of the huge meetings. So we're sitting there, and he just got out of his anxiety belt. I don't know, I'm not sure. He just wrote a book on anxiety, actually. He just, he went, he went through anxiety. He actually had to take pills for it. But what had happened was, was that his, his anxiety caused him to rely and depend on the Lord more and rely on the Holy Spirit. And so he was actually teaching this. He sat there. His teaching was how to rely and depend on the Holy Spirit more. And he's admitting to 5,000 pastors I have an anxiety problem. You know the humility that it takes to do that? Huge. And I sat there going, well, I, res- I, I respect you even more than I respected you before. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. He stood there. He's just like, dude, but you know what? I'm relying on the Holy Spirit, and you should too. And he didn't stop there. You know what the most amazing thing is? After he's, he totally humbled himself and admitted that he struggles with anxiety, he started challenging the Foursquare Church. You know what, Foursquare Church? You should do this. It's like, oh, yeah, that's cool, awesome. Yeah, you can just challenge them. And then he started pointing to cabinet members. You know what cabinet members you should do? Then he started talking to the new president, Jack Hayford. You know what, Jack? He's saying all this stuff. And I literally, I, I remember this. One of the staff members sitting in front of me, like you were sitting in one section. I remember this, one of the staff members literally put his head down. He's like, oh, boy. <laughs> he literally shook his head. He's like, and then literally our whole staff was like sinking in our chairs because all the eyes were like looking at us. Like, what is Ralph saying to us? Like, I don't know what he's saying to us. Like, just Ralph, shut up. Like, what are you saying? But while I was sitting in my chair, I was like, this is so biblical. Uh, This is so godly. This is so right. This is so from the Holy Spirit. You could see the humility and confidence. And I was like, even though I was sitting in my chair, I was like, yeah, go, Ralph, go, preach it. You know, I was, I was so proud of my pastor. And it, it was amazing. It was an amazing moment for me. Confidence and humility together. You should have it. You should have it, right? Um, I got two more, and I'll be done. Uh, the fifth one is um, that Paul had integrity. Very important. He had integrity. What does integrity mean? They had character. 
that he didn't want fame, that he wasn't doing it for the money. He admitted, right? I'm, not, I'm doing this uh, at no cost here. What, what's going on? I'm not, I'm not doing this for, for brownie points for you. I'm trying to do this for the Lord, right? He had, he had character. He was the same everywhere he went, right? Um, actually, he says this, I have never been a burden to you. I never, be in, I never will be. In 2 Corinthians 7, he says, oh, we have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. He wasn't taking advantage of anybody. He did it for Jesus Christ. He had integrity. The last one is, and I think this is an important one, is that he was willing to lay his life on the line. I mean, he proved it. He was willing to lay his life on the line. He proved it by getting whipped, by getting beaten to, to the point of he looked like he was dead. He went through some major horrors. And actually, if you actually look and study this, all that list that he read, he actually suffered more because it was in the middle of his ministry, which means he suffered even more than that. He kept going. And I look at this, and you can and look at that and go kind of like, that's great for Paul, but that's not going to happen to me. I'm not going to get persecuted. I'm not going to be, get beaten up. I'm not going to get whipped. That's not going to be happening to me. And I think we can go and go, that was great for Paul, not for me. Um, he laid his life down because it was that time period. But I think, you know what? Don't you think that we should be willing to lay our lives down Amen. for our brothers and sisters and for the people that need Jesus Christ? Absolutely, yes. And I think we can take this and go kind of disregard it. But um, when I do weddings... Um, there's a point in the wedding when I, um, I talk about Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 says, um, wives should submit to the husband and husbands should submit to the, the wife. And it says this, that the husband will give up her life, his life for her wife. His, I'm getting it all wrong. <laughs> that he would give up his life for her just as Christ gave up his life for the church. Did I say that right? Good. Awesome. And so I say this to the guy. I'm like, you know what? Are you willing to give up your life for that woman? And, and the guy would be like, yeah, of course. I give my life, right? Well, if a bus came about to hit your wife, you would jump in front of it. He's like, yeah, I would jump in front of that bus. Yeah, boom. Yeah, I give my life. And I say, well, what about, would you give up your life on a daily basis? Would you give up to your desires and your wants? Would you give up watching the football game and, and, and talk to your wife? Oh, wait a minute, pastor. It's going a little bit too far. I got to dive to the little things too? What are you talking about, right? And we should do the same thing, right? Even though we're not going to get to the point of Paul literally dying, right? He did die for the cause. That are we willing to die to ourselves? Are you with me? Are you hearing me? Are, you, are, you, are we willing to die for us, to ourselves if someone needs us and we'd go, I'm really busy here? No. no. You know what? Yeah. You know what? Oh, there's people on this on Facebook just going through all this stuff and like, nope, I got stuff to do. And the Lord convicted me. Nope, get on Facebook and talk to that guy. Reach out to him. He needs, he needs Jesus right now. Yeah, okay, Lord, I will. I'll die to myself. Are you hearing me? That little, that little death. Um, I hope you guys got some little nuggets of, of Paul's life that we should have a, a jealous, a jealousy for God's people the way God has jealousy for us. And... Um, Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I just, I just thank you so much that you are faithful and amazing and that you're amazing throughout the ages, God. That when I read the Bible, I read the Old Testament and I read about 
Jesus when he was here on earth and I read about Paul, it's amazing to me that it still applies to my life now. It's amazing to me that, that you haven't changed, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, Lord, as we read these scriptures, God, it's challenging to me, and it should be challenging to us, God. I pray that we would be, we would see uh, a little bit of who Paul is and that we would apply it to our lives, God. Apply anything, any little nugget that Holy Spirit that you spoke to um, individuals here. Maybe we're good at all six, or maybe they're good at five, and we got to work on that one, or maybe we're not good at any of them, we got to work on it. Just a little bit. The most amazing thing is that you love us and that you accept us how we are, and, and you, Lord, you love us enough that you don't want us to stay the same. And so, Lord, challenge us bit by bit, that we would go from glory to glory. Thank you for your grace, that if it were an ocean that we'd be drowning in, God, and Lord, I, I continue my prayer earlier in the service that, that we would be so in tune to the fact that, that you love us and that actually it's a love that, that we can actually grasp even more. Give us a glimpse of what that is, God.